Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money. Whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Good afternoon. Welcome to Money Tips. This is Charles Kelly. Well, today I want to talk about landlords and uh, inspections and regulations. And the headline here is Landlords Act Now or Face a £30,000 Fine. Well, it's not just a headline. It's actually true. Uh, and, and this is if you don't comply with, with new regulations on electrical installation reports. Uh, and, and now, look, we know that most landlords are actually responsible individuals. Uh, they, they, they are proactive when it comes to ensuring that their tenants and properties are safe. After all, it is in their interest. I'm always amazed at these landlords that uh, you see on TV, like landlords from hell and that sort of thing, or slum landlords who let their properties go into rack and ruin and disrepair. And you think, why? Why would they do that? It just doesn't make sense because it, it's it's to their own detriment. Their, their properties deteriorate. And if there's a hole in the roof, fix it before it ruins the rest of the house. Anyway, under these Latest regulations, landlords must have an installation, electrical installation uh, report and, and, and in their properties and inspected and tested by a qualified person at least every five years. Landlords have to provide a copy of this report, the EICR, to their tenants and into the local authority if required. Now, these regulations come in force last June 2020 but they apply from the 1st of April. So a lot of landlords are now panicking to get things done. If you haven't got the report done, as long as you've arranged an appointment, you've tried to, to, to take steps to get these reports done, because I expect electricians are up to their eyes with work, um, then it doesn't matter because uh, you know, you've, you've taken steps to get the report done. I don't think they're going to be going around on week three slapping fines on everybody. Uh, but, you know, you have to... Get, get to grips with this and this applies in England Scotland's got their own rules um, and you know it includes any shorthold tenancies and licenses to occupy single single tenants and HMOs and now landlords who uh, uh, fail to, to comply with this could face fines of up to £30,000 that the fines are actually um, uh, governed by the local authority and you know they, they could even go towards criminal uh, criminal liability, i.e. put into prison if if in the case of negligence. Um, now, if, if a landlord has uh, dodgy electrical insulations and this causes a fire and somebody dies, you, you will end up in prison. This hasn't happened in the case of Grenfell Tower, by the way. Still, nobody seems to put their hand up and no, nobody seems to know who is exactly is responsible. But there's a landlord there and if it was if it was my building, I would probably be in clink now. But for some reason, these big landlords and local authorities get away with it. Uh, nobody's actually really held to to account. But that's another another subject. Now, in in practice, lo local authorities. Uh, you know, I was a councillor, so I've met the people that go around enforcing these these sort of regulations. They don't immediately turn up and, and issue a fine. They give people time. They say, look. This this property is in disrepair. Get it sorted by X, X date. Then they go back again. Then they might give another warning. Eventually, 
the only option is to issue a fine. So it's not, they, they don't do this as a, as a matter of first resort. It's a last resort case. Uh, uh, incidentally, this doesn't even cover the, the old PAT test. You know, PAT testing, um, uh, testing of electrical appliances. This is where you have to get these green stickers on your, your kettle and your toaster, uh, which is required. Now, in most cases, I've found, what, what's the point of getting somebody in and spending like £200 to get a, a toaster uh, PAT tested? I mean, most of these things, you, you might as well just throw them away, which doesn't help. I know it ends up in landfill, but... You know, perfectly good electrical appliances, I'm sure, end up on the scrap heap because they don't comply with PAT testing or some regulation. You know, you used to keep stuff for 20 years and they lasted. Now people are just throwing them away all the time. So I, I tend to just throw things away um, and, and change things every three years rather than, you know, have to keep repairing them and PAT testing them. But, but that, you know, and, and it's also the time involved of arranging things, being there for them, uh, filling in forms, complying. It's just another load of red tape. And, you know, and these changes to the rules and regulations on, on things like gas, which seems that every time I have a gas inspection, they've come up with some new rule. Well, this doesn't comply anymore. Then the next year, the guy came and he, he passed it and I hadn't changed anything. <laughs> it, just, it was just something to do with the hob. And one guy for five years, they said it was fine. Then one guy said it's not fine. And the next guy comes around the other day, the next year, and said, yeah, it's fine again. Who knows? But this, this, these regulations on gas, electrical work, building, and, and really a whole raft of red tape and regulations every few years they change are really a bonanza for the, for the sector. Now, I'm a bit of a rant here, sorry, but they're a bonanza for these people who work in civil service jobs, what I would call non-productive jobs. They're civil servants. They work for quangos. They work for, um, you know, various sector bodies and I saw this in the training industry where they would keep changing things and changing courses um, and the costs are ultimately passed on to the taxpayer the landlord the tenants or the people who use the services and really thousands of people are employed in these bodies literally tens of thousands I'd say uh, in fact in this country half of the working population are indirectly or directly employed by the government in some way or another and it's a sim similar story in America and you know this is why we're paying so much tax and, and why the companies become un, the countries become less productive compared to say you know countries in the far east where they just go ahead and get things done here you've got people sitting in quangos constantly working out how they're going to change the rules and and bring in new twists on things in in largely to perpetuate their own jobs literally i've seen this you know i've seen this in 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 a previous industry i worked in they keep changing rules. Like they say, well, NVQs now don't apply. It's something else. So they keep changing these rules. And, uh, you know, the same fate awaits car owners who've got cars that uh, are perfectly good cars, but now they've got the wrong engine for this year. They were told a few years ago, I have to have diesel. Now that's wrong. So what's going to happen to that car on the scrap heap? It's not good for the environment, is it? Anyway, you can see the full guidance on all, all these things. On, on I put the link up there. Now, other news is that rents are, are, are falling in central London. Now I've noticed this on viewings that uh, tenants are now finding that, you know, they can quit high rental properties uh, in the suburbs and move into central London and get a similar deal. And and landlords in central London are, are losing tenants uh, because they're, they're, or they even have to reduce rents or the, or the tenants are going somewhere else and renting properties at a cheaper rate. And, and this is all part of this. Maybe it's part of this exodus out of the city. Uh, maybe it's because a lot of people from Europe have gone home and they're not renting properties anymore. I, I don't know, but I'm seeing a lot of properties that are either empty 
or half empty, which which used to be full of tenants. Um, and renters are, you know, young renters are moving into the city to, to really take advantage of this, whereas property owners are perhaps moving out a bit because they want more space because of the COVID situation. The landlords are also it's reported uh, by the, 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 the Landlords Association that renters, uh, landlords are facing more problems with renters in arrears. This is due to unemployment rising. Uh, we, we haven't seen unemployment rise as much as it would because of the furlough scheme, but the furlough scheme will come to an end uh, very soon. And and then it's a free-for-all. And, and landlords also will have the ability then to evict tenants who are not paying. Some landlords have had tenants sitting there for six months or a year without paying rent because they know they can't be evicted. Now, unfortunately, that hasn't happened you know, to, to me and it hasn't happened to, to, to most landlords, but you do get people who you know, take advantage of the system. But, you know, definitely in the next couple of months, even though the economy is picking up because things are opening up this month in the UK, I, I still think there's going to be increased unemployment. Uh, and it, it said that 500,000 renters are in arrears or being pushed into arrears or face being pushed into arrears because they've had problems. They've, had, they've either lost their jobs or been on reduced pay. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, what about the people who are self-employed that got very little help? What about the people on the gig economy that have no rights, really? Uh, so, so you know, I, I've seen that. I know people are in, in trouble and it, it's it's very sad to see. But, you know, once these safety nets are removed, then I think companies will be able to just make a lot more people redundant. You know, we've seen stores close all over the country. We've seen more companies going to liquidation and it affects more of the younger population, actually. And that, that's the general view anyway. But also there's, there's reports that older people over 50 are less likely to get back into work quickly if they lose their job. It's harder for them to to find work, even though you know employers are not supposed to distinguish between people based on their age, race, colour, sex, that sort of thing. They do. You know, it, it's clear that they're doing because older people are having more trouble getting back into the working place. Uh, the the now, another thing is that um, people who took advantage of these self-employed grants, we find out now that lenders are 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 using that information to to as as part of their their credit uh, review on them. And people who've taken these uh, th- these bounce back loans and self-employed grants are are actually less likely to be able to get a mortgage. This is according to another report. And and this this wasn't supposed to to happen. The, the government said no, this will not affect your credit rating. But it seems that lenders are looking at these people because, and they see them as a higher risk because they've borrowed money or taken advantage of grants or had problems in in the future. Uh, other news is that peer to peer websites are are being closed by the Financial Conduct Authority for, following a series of collapsed firms. Peer to peer websites in in this case involves getting a higher interest rate on your money by cutting out the bank. So you take people who want to uh, deposit money and they they effectively lend that to people who can pay a higher interest rate than they would get in the bank. And then the website sits in the middle. Unfortunately, some of these schemes have been going wrong. And, and this is why the, the authorities have moved in now. And I think they'll probably be outlawed in the, in the end. I mean, banks don't really like competition. A lot of these websites are working perfectly well, by the way, but obviously the banks don't like anybody trading on their toes. Similar thing with peer-to-peer lending websites. Some of those have gone wrong, but there are a lot that are working perfectly well. This is where you can lend money at a higher risk. This is not on deposit. This is where 
you're lending money to people to develop properties, for instance, or buy properties in return for a, for a higher interest rate, maybe five, six, seven percent. Um, and th those obviously carry a higher risk. And some of those schemes have actually gone wrong. So just be careful when you think, well, I can get a bit of extra money, uh, earn a bit of extra money. But if you're going outside of the, the banking regulation, then your money is not protected in the, in the same way by the deposit protection scheme. So you have to be careful. Sometimes it's not worth it for an extra one or two percent to risk your savings with, with some of these schemes. So very be careful. Um, the, on this subject of money, a lot of people have got money tied up in pension schemes and these might be in company schemes, in in final salary schemes, which give you a guaranteed pension. And apparently eight million people have been targeted by scammers. These are people that promise them they can unlock their pensions, release the money, get, get it now, maybe in their 50s or uh, get a better return on their money. And some of these people are literally scammed by advisors. Uh, people just disappear with their money. People have lost hundreds of thousands of pounds from their pension scheme. So be, be very careful. Only use regulated, regulated advisors. And be careful about unlocking your schemes at all. I, I know I've been to seminars where people say, you can unlock your pension scheme, put it into a SaaS. If you haven't got a limited company, don't worry. You just set one up and put it into a self-employed, uh, self-administered scheme. Sorry, not it's not SAS's self-administered scheme. Uh, and then you can uh, lend that money out to people to buy properties. You can invest in your own schemes and make much more money from it. Yeah, fine. That's great if it works out and you know what you're doing, but it's a much higher risk than if you've got a, a pension scheme, which is giving you a guaranteed return. And I I've seen people willy-nilly just take money out of a, a guaranteed pension scheme, say with a large company that's given you a guaranteed return on that pension scheme and then put it into a SaaS uh, and then start lending it out to people uh, to, to buy properties. Sometimes they're lending 100% of the value to buy the properties. Now, while properties are going up and up and up, that's not a problem. But if they start going down or we, we get this bubble burst in at the end of the stamp duty holiday, then some of these schemes are going to, oh, will, will end up in tears because, uh, you know, you, you're out of the system. You're out of the guaranteed system. You're now into the Wild West of lending money to people to go and develop properties. I've seen it going wrong before years ago. And I can only see that happening again. So be very careful about unlocking pension schemes, which offer a guarantee. Sure, the, the company uh, will give you a massive transfer value because they want to get rid of that guarantee. They know that guarantee is expensive because if you retire at 60 and you live for 30 years and your pension has to keep paying you out, then you have won. You, you've got more out of that scheme than you ever paid in. So, of course, they'll give you hundreds of thousands of pounds. Great, I've got £200,000 transfer value. I can now go and buy this building or, or lend money out to my friend and, and earn 5% interest while he goes off and buys another building. Yeah, that's great. But just be very careful because, you know, you're giving up a very valuable guarantee, which incidentally doesn't exist anymore. Most people are not in final salary schemes unless you work for the government. But in company pension schemes, they're not in guaranteed schemes. Uh, and that's a whole nother subject. So, so these guarantees, if you do have one from your company, just be careful about uh, giving up that, that guarantee. Now, did you know, that, the, that just on a funny note, really, uh, you know what a county court judgment is? If you don't pay a debt and you're taken to court you and you, and you lose the case and the judge says you owe this money, you get what's called a county court judgment. 
And this stays on your credit file for six years and can stop you getting a mortgage. It can stop you uh, borrowing money on, on credit cards. Uh, it can even stop you being able to rent a property because they'll do a credit search on you. Even things like mobile phone contracts can, can be blocked because you have a county court judgment. And then the news comes out today that none other than the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has a county court judgment not at his home address, his old home address, but at number 10 Downing Street, which is, is unbelievable. Apparently it's for £500. Some journalists have searched this out. They've done a search on him and found out that he's got a county court judgment for £500. Now, obviously, this is an oversight. The guy earns 150000 a year. He's not short of a few bob, but he somehow managed to get a county court judgment. The fact is he doesn't live at number 10 Downing Street. He lives at number 11 Downing Street. So immediately there he can say, well, I didn't get the letters um, and I, I want this case reviewed and you can actually have the case set aside and he can get that removed because he, he probably didn't receive the mail. It went to the wrong address. But surely some of these civil servants must have seen these letters. They must have seen debt letters coming in because you don't get a county court judgment with just one click of a button. It, it follows a series of chases. It follows court letters an invitation to attend a court. So someone has really screwed up. I know he probably gets a bag full of mail every day, but some of his advisors want shooting for letting that, uh, you know, not bringing that to his attention. But, you know, these things can happen. People do get county court judgments in their absence, but there is a way around it. If you had a county court judgment in your absence, you can get it set aside. You have to go through a procedure of, you know, saying why you should think it should, should be set aside, like you didn't get a chance to, to attend a hearing, it went to a wrong address, and then you can ha have the case reheard. And at that point, if you still lost the case, you can then pay the debt and the, the judgment wouldn't stand. The judgment is only registered, by the way, if you don't pay the debt within 28 days. If you still refuse to pay the debt after the, the, the trial, the hearing, then the judgment is registered. But if you immediately put your hands up, say, right, I owe this money, here's the money, end of subject, that then the debt, that the judgment wouldn't uh, apply, but you would still pay court costs. But often people get these judgments registered against them in their absence, and then they don't know there's a judgment until somebody does a credit search on them for like for a, for a mortgage. And then they find out, oh, they've got this county court judgment. I used to see this when I was a financial advisor. Now look, I was a financial advisor for 25 years, and I, I left the industry because I became frustrated with all the the, the, the really the, the focus and 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 on, on the fact that I could only recommend uh, products and things that somebody could do uh, based on products that were created by the very industry I worked in the financial services industry. So I could only recommend those kind of regulated products which are run by the same industry. This is why when you go into a, any city, the biggest buildings and the biggest office buildings are usually owned by insurance companies and banks because they control the money, right? All, all the money on the stock market, nearly all the money on the stock market is controlled by pension schemes and financial institutions. It's not Joe Bloggs buying his, his little bit of shares. 99% of it is controlled by institutions. And that's your money in there. So if the stock market goes down tomorrow, uh, that will affect your pension scheme, no doubt. Anyway, I, you know, for instance, I could say to somebody, if they said, look, I've got uh, half a million pounds here, I could only advise them to buy something like, let's say they wanted to invest in property. I said, well, I can advise you on, on this prudential property bond or a legal and general property bond uh, but I couldn't tell them to go out and buy a property because that's outside of my scope it's not a regulated product and you know and, and in fact 
The fact is they could have done better by buying their property. They could have divided that money and bought two properties by, by leveraging, by, by getting two buy-to-let mortgages. But I couldn't advise them to do that. And I remember meeting a financial advisor and I said, well, I invest in property. Do, do you recommend I do that? He said, no, no, it's too risky. But he wanted me to invest in some stock market bond that could go up or down just because there's a, as a pandemic, it could drop by 30% in a day. But he thought buying a property was too risky. In a way, that was what he was taught. And obviously putting your, all your eggs in one basket could be considered as risky rather than putting it into a pooled investment. But you can see the point here. I can only recommend products run by the industry. Now, since then, I, I often give people guidance on investing. I don't give specific advice because I'm not a regulated financial advisor anymore. So I can't say to someone, well, take this insurance policy out, do this and do that because I, I'm not aware of their specific financial uh, situation. But I can offer a wealth of guidance and tips. And, and, and I did so through my book, uh, Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. But I can't give a specific advice, but I can offer something called wealth coaching. I can give people guidance on how better to manage their money, um, how to build wealth over time, and, and, and just how to become a better money manager, which I, which I explained in the book. You know, the, 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 the money belief systems, getting your mindset right on money and, and, and all sorts of things that can help you build wealth over time. But if you say, well, I want a pension, then I would say, go and see a financial advisor. But I could tell you what a pension involves and I can tell you in, in factual terms, you know, the, the options you have. But I wouldn't be selling you a pension scheme as most advisors would. Now, with this in mind, I'm offering three free coaching session calls as part of the launch of my wealth coaching coaching business. And you can check that out. I put a link up to my Facebook group, Charles Kelly Marketer. So have a look at that. And, uh, you know, if you're interested, just just send me a message. So, so thanks for, for listening today. I hope this has been useful to you. And if you have specific problems with finances, then you, you do need to see a financial advisor. I'm not giving you specific financial advice. What I'm giving here is money tips and general guidance on how to, to best man manage your money and build wealth over time. So thanks for listening. Have a great day and bye for now. Have a good, good weekend ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 